Welcome to episode 143 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. How is your February going? February is good. What's to complain about? It's the day after Valentine's Day, which is for some just a day. Um, it's also <laughs> President's Day, which again, for everybody who's never been a president, it's just a day. So yeah, it's, you know, it's fine. February's I good. I feel like President's Day is for more than just presidents. It's also for like car dealerships so that they're really into president's day every year for some I think reason the, i think the gap is also really into president's day okay it's a big day at the gap you have a favorite president um do i have a favorite president i mean isn't the go-to i mean i mean the obvious choice is lincoln but um it's a little cliche i know it's cliche and easy it's like oh my favorite movie is citizen kane and my favorite book is to kill a mockingbird all true i never say it out loud um <laughs> but uh no not really I mean, they all had, you know, to say you have a favorite would be imply that, like, everything they did was awesome. And I just don't think that's possible from a president. That's right. You're expecting too much. Let them, yeah. Let them be. Just let yeah. them be presidents, you know? I mean, that's an accomplishment. Good for you. You are president. Awesome. Let's give you a day. It's the least we can do. It's really hard. As we see this year, like, being president just doesn't look, the process of it, awful. Who would wish on anybody? Speaking of things that are not awful, we have a lot of tennis to talk about. I feel like February is sort of a fun smorgasbord month of tennis opportunities and choices and things and so a lot of interesting flavors can crop up in february uh, expected and unexpected you, you, i mean we th- i feel like we do this every year on the show we always say it's kind of surprising we don't think of it as a big tennis month per se but it does wind up having stories every every month at least yeah it definitely has stories i think that it differs on each tour, whether those stories have legs or if they're just cool, like one week stories. I think that in the past, we have seen that that the February for the WTA, particularly the Middle Eastern swing, actually does have legs. The players who do well there do tend to, you know, uh, shoot up a flare as to their intentions for the season. Right. Like, like uh, Safarova won Doha last year and that bore out into something relevant. Exactly. Uh, and... You know, Halep won Dubai and then won Indian Wells. So, yeah, yeah. This, this, this seems to make sense. It's also where Serena got back to number one a few years ago. It's where Venus really threw down again, winning Dubai, what was it, last year or two years ago? Two years ago, 2014. Yeah, two years ago. Um, and that really has signaled her uh, resurgence. And I'm sure we'll talk about her a little bit later. But, yeah, so I think for the WTA, the Middle Eastern swing is quite significant. The men, it's a little bit more touch and go. I, I do feel like February... It gets a lot of really interesting storylines on the ATP side with like new names and new faces and, you know, people, you know, having certain breakthrough runs and things like that. But um, just because of the ATP and the lack of parity compared to the WTA, since it's not the big four guys, it's it doesn't really have legs once you get to the Masters or to the Grand Slams. So tougher. That's probably right. I think relevance has a lower ceiling in the ATP in February. I mean, like something like Martin Kleson, who won Rotterdam, which is a 500, a big title for him, his biggest career title by far. And he came out of nowhere. He wasn't seated or anything. He saved like eight match points on route and was just being generally ridiculous. He was doing somersaults and other weird flips and really annoyed Nicholas Mahu, um, all sorts of fun stuff. He 
yeah, he gets there. And so maybe this signals like, okay, maybe he's ready to make it back to like top 25. But it doesn't mean he's going to be suddenly a slam contender on the final weekend. Like, I don't think that's anywhere even close to that. Uh, same thing in Buenos Aires. Dominic Team won. Uh, it's, for him, it's more of like a adding to a story. It's because this is his fourth clay court title in the last, or I think just fourth title. I think they're all clay courts in the last uh, year or so. And he's cementing his place as an up-and-comer, but does it mean he's ready to do something big right away? Like, nah, probably not. I think, yeah, I think, I think you're probably right about that. Whereas the women, this, we always say the difference between men and women's tennis now, the lower ranks of the women are just more relevant than the, the guys right now. Uh, speaking of Dominic Team, Courtney, did you happen to see any of the Team Rafa match in Buenos Aires? I had no idea that they were even playing in Buenos Aires. Um, okay. I mean, I mean, I knew that they were playing the tournament. I just didn't know they were playing each other. Um, and had I known that, perhaps I would have woken up and watched it. But uh, my sleep schedule was so wonky last week. It was. It's like I. I don't know if you had. The, well, I'm sure you haven't had this, and I hope to God you haven't. I reverted weirdly back to Australian Open time, so mm. I was like not sleeping through the night, and then like crashing out at like nine o'clock in the morning pacific coast time which was weird um but no so the, all that is to say i did not um i only woke up saw the result and i read dominic team's adorable mega post on uh, facebook <laughs> vamos defeated vamos but ben i presume you watched it explain to me what the hell happened how did dominic team beat rafael nadal in buenos aires okay this match was terrible like <laughs> dominic team is a completely serviceable good player he's a top 20 player he deserves to be a top 20 player he'll be better someday he's steadily improving but my god i have never seen i don't think i've ever seen a worse match from rafa and it was a third set tie break which lets you know that like team wasn't exactly like really taking it to him consistently rafa was so bad so bad and feel free to disagree with me but like he if someone people who did see this match can disagree but like he was standing like as he sometimes does like way against the back wall return serve and just floating everything like with no pace and it was landing on the service line and team was just able to like tee off except for when team was also standing way back and they were just playing really bad tennis i don't know it was sad it was just like unpleasant experience for everyone involved me especially and then team won again in the third set tiebreak against almagro it's good to see him come back um after being really nowhere for a long time in the final but yeah it was just it was unpleasant to watch it was just like oh rafa this is not great after after his really pretty good finish last year you know he made the basel final he did well in london he did had a pretty good fall overall when he wasn't really expected to and then this start to 2016 from rafa's been poor to quite poor so Tough to watch. It's just somebody, you know, who remembers has seen Rafa so good for so long. This was a shadow of that. Well, that's depressing. It was dark. It was, I had, I had feelings in this match and they were not good. Well, yeah, I mean, I wish I had anything to say. I don't just because I didn't see his performance. Um, but I mean, Ben, how surprised, I guess, are you with respect to Rafa's first six weeks of 2016? I think it's definitely a big letdown. I mean, okay, first of all, people will say he did make the Doha final. Yes, he did that. But then I think, like, all that was completely undone by how he got blown out of the water by Djokovic. Then he loses first round to Verdasco. You can say, oh, Verdasco played great. It was just Verdasco's any day. But I also feel like Nadal was letting him do that. And I don't know. I just feel like it's a regression for Nadal. He's coming into a time of year that's generally really good for him. He's a really good I – mean, he has Rio this week coming up, first of all. So that's a 500 on clay. Hopefully he – for him, he can get better there. Uh, but then he has stretch is pretty good for him generally. I mean, he's a good Indian Wells player. He's been pretty good in Miami, even though he's never won the title there. And then he has clay. 
So this should be a time for him to get back to full strength and make a push. But I was just looking at him in this match against team and being like, golly, he like, if I had to bet on during this match, I would absolutely say he'll never win a slam again to go big picture with it. He just looked that just helpless and everything. And just, it was, it was, it was dark. This was, this was, this is low tide for it all. Yeesh. All yeah. right. Well, I will be sure to uh, to tune into Rio this week to uh, to do my Rafa research, um, and I will come back to you all with my thoughts on Rafa next week. But what about Dominic Team? You don't sound like you're very high on Dominic. No, I mean I think he I think he did fine. I think that's what we're going to say for all the titles this week. I mean just to reel them off, you know, Cleats on one, Team one on the women's side, Roberta Vinci won, and Venus Williams won. I don't know if we're leaving anybody out. I think that's oh, and uh, Kenny Shikori. And for all of them, like, I wouldn't overread into any of these titles. Team is doing well. I mean, like, he's emerging as a player who's best on clay in a generation where there's not that many guys who have that sort of calling card. So there's a certain niche for him, for sure. Um, I mean, and maybe, like, Zverev is best on clay, but he wasn't playing clay. But, yeah, I, mean, I think Team is uh, steadily progressing. And I think I knew that about Team already. Team didn't surprise me this week. I really don't think he had to do anything special to get this win over Rafa, which I think was really what struck me. Fair so. enough. Fair enough. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was an interesting, you know, set of five tournaments last week simply because, you know, the the discussion that really, I think, dominated all uh, not all five tournaments, but most of the tournaments was kind of how well the youngsters were doing. Right. So, you know, you had all, you, and you can even throw team into, into that mix, kind of like what sure. what, what a Benchich did in terms of that run being like a confirmation of what we think of them and, and who they are as players. Like, yeah, I, I would expect you to, you know, do this well at a tournament or something like that. But then obviously Alexander Zverev, Taylor Fritz, um, Daria Kashukina. It was it was a it was a solid week for the youngsters. But in the end, it's still the oldies but goodies holding the titles. No, I mean, pretty much, yes. And I, I, on the youngsters, I will say that these are important results for them. Like, for Belinda Bencic, making the final of a premiere is still important for her. She does not have a very long track record of being a top player. So cementing that, even if it's just making a final and being runner-up to Vinci, which doesn't seem wildly impressive on paper, uh, that's, that's that matters to her. You know, she's yeah. still in a stage of her career where she needs reps being a great player and being expected to do things and then doing them. That's important. She's in top 10 now, which is a big breakthrough for her. That can often change how players see themselves, and I think she's sort of right for that to really, you know, just not be, you know, because I think, and for the most part with with Belinda, she's been not like Jeannie was when Jeannie was ascending. Jeannie, Jeannie being like, yeah, I expect all this, you know, this is what I came for. Belinda's had a pretty good sense of wonder about the whole thing, and I think it's probably time for that to be fading out a little bit and taking and going the way of expecting herself to do these things. Um, so maybe this sort of result and being top 10 helps that. Um, Kasukina, obviously, I think it's a big result for her. Made semis, right? Yep. Yeah, made semis in St. Petersburg after a pretty good start to the year, great start to the year, but with the Serena drubbing uh, that she took in Melbourne, I think this is a good result for her to wash that taste out of her mouth and being there for Russia's loss to, uh, to the Netherlands and Fed Cup, even though she didn't play. That couldn't have been fun to be in the front row for. Uh, yeah, and then other young ones, Zverev has had a very good couple weeks, and the ma- main one we're going to get to here is Taylor Fritz. He's 18, made the final of just his third ATP tournament, which is incredible. It's just his third ATP main draw, makes the final in Memphis, beat some good players along the way. 
Very impressive. I guess what I guess you were talking about it before, Courtney, but I guess on Twitter. But what are your with with Fritz? We talked about this for a while in the abstract about how much attention a top American guy would get when he did break through. Like, what do you think? How should people be talking about Taylor Fritz right now? I think that people should be, you know, fair. I think that that's that's all that that sounds like a really basic thing and and um to ask, but. You know, Taylor Fritz won four te- four tennis matches in Memphis. Um, he won against, you know, solid players. He played really great. There's a lot to like about his game. Um, in Melbourne, uh, I talked to to Rodney Marshall, one of the, the fitness trainers, uh, key fitness trainers for the USTA, who worked a lot with Taylor Fritz in the offseason, had nothing but great things to say about the kid and his work ethic and yeah. um, how mature and serious he is about his his. Uh, his profession about his job of being a pro tennis player. And what you said is absolutely right to make a final in just your third ATP event. That to me is the standout um, stat of, of the, uh, of what he did last week in Memphis. That being said, once everybody starts marching out, you know, all these comparisons, Oh, he's like, he reminds me of Sampras. As I saw that Steve Tigner wrote, Oh, you know, the only player, you know, what was it? Like the American teens to make an ATP final. So the stat for that one was that he is the fifth American teenager to make a ATP final at age 18. And the other ones, I'm going to go off the top of my head, but it's something like Sampras, Agassi, Chang, and Roddick. I mean, right. It's like all like Grand Slam finalists, number one types. Future Hall of um, Famers. Right. Um, that's when things start to get like, okay, everybody calm down. You know, for me, it is important to remember it's February. I think that February results and um, are just you, – you do have to take them – especially on the ATP side with a grain of salt. And um, I will be interested to see what Fritz does over the long haul, but four matches for me is not enough, are not enough data points, regardless of what he did as a junior, um, which he had a successful, obviously junior career, but it's just not enough data points to weigh in and, 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 and throw all this at him. And, you know, I don't think at all that it was, um, uh, too ironic, or maybe it is ironic, I don't know, that it was Ryan Harrison call, in the booth calling yeah. the Fritz match, um, the Fritz, or the semifinal during a, uh, on Tennis Channel, because right. there, there is, like, the whole time that you're watching Taylor Fritz, in your ear is the voice of the last American male who has received a ridiculous amount of pressure and attention um, for doing amazing things when he was very young and uh has really you know struggled and i think fa- safe to say as of yet hasn't lived up to the amount of ink maybe he was he was given as a teenager and uh, whether, right. or not, whether or not that's fair to ryan whether that's ryan's own fault i'm not going to weigh in on any of that but i think that you know we we have been burned by this before so i think that there's just a lot to be said about with youngsters both the men and the women that you do have to give them space to fail um, when they're teenagers, um, that yes, obviously this is a sport that loves its teenage champions, which I think is kind of weird sometimes, but whatever. Um, but you know, you have to just let them fuck up. It's okay if players go crashing out in the first round and it's okay if they, they don't ascend at the pace and the speed that you expect them to. I think that's ridiculous, you know? So I think that, as I've always said, and I think I've been pretty consistent with this on the podcast, like I usually give players like a good amount of space until they're 21, 22. And at that point, I start to look a little bit more critically. But I hope that people give Taylor Fritz the space because he's got a great game, but the physical maturity has to catch up. The 
mental and emotional maturity and psychological maturity um, is going to take time as well. And uh, and what you said before, uh, Ben, the kid needs reps and youngsters need reps. Uh, Benchich needs reps. Akiz needs reps. Kashakina. So let's give them time. Yeah, to I totally agree with almost everything you just said there. The one thing I'll push, I mean, not that we, not that you said this exactly, but the one thing I will say is that this was more than just four matches and that he's, this is really something that didn't come out of nowhere at all for Fritz. I mean, Fritz was, he won junior U S open last year after making the final of the junior French open and semis of junior Wimbledon and being junior number one. Um, but then after, once he switched to being, to playing pros, he just soared up the rankings. He was like outside top 800 at the U S open after the U.S. Open in the pros and like one, you know, just on an absolute tear through the challengers, won another challenger beginning of this year, qualified for the Australian Open main draw, uh, went five against Sock in that ridiculous match that some people saw. Um, he was up two sets to one. I mean, he really has put together a really good body of work on that front. And so, I mean, obviously, yes, putting him in the same breath as Chang and Courier and Roddick and whoever else is a, is, is, is a heavy thing to drop on a kid as you mentioned with Ryan Harrison for sure. But at the same time, I think there is genuine reason for uh, excitement or optimism or something with him. So to go from the youth of American tennis to the opposite of that, Venus Williams <laughs> won a title this week in Taiwan, uh, her 49th career title, it's a good square number, uh, winning in Kaohsiung, Taiwan, beating Misaki Doi in the final. Misaki Doi is, by the way, having a very tremendous uh, 11 months since she was our rental car. Just so happy for her on that front. But Venus Williams, Courtney, does this title mean much for her? Explain why or why not. I think it does. I think it does. I mean, she goes into uh, the Taiwan Open winless in January after finishing the season on a high note, winning Zhuhai, and uh, and otherwise just having a, a fantastic Asian swing uh, last year. Yeah. And uh, and disappointing, I think, in January to lose to Kashit Kina in the opening round in Auckland, then to lose to Joe Conta in the opening round at the US, at the um, Australian Open. Neither loss looks that bad in retrospect, given how strong uh, Kashit Kina has played and, and what Conta was able to do in Melbourne. But, um, yeah, I mean, for her to be able to to win in Taiwan and just get matches under her belt, get wins under her belt, she didn't yeah. have to play anybody tough. I mean, she didn't play no. anybody inside the top 60. And there was nobody top 60 even in this draw. So it was weird looking at this draw looked like an like an ITF draw plus Venus Williams. Which yeah. Is kind of, or, or, or 125 or something. So it was, yeah. So, and she did get wins. I should, not that you weren't saying this, but she did win two matches in Fed Cup also in between. She did. That's right. But, but again, February. So February yeah, exactly. finally turns the page on on a um, a disappointing long trip in uh, in January. So you know it's it's definitely been interesting to see you know Venus manage her schedule. I mean the idea to fly to obviously go to Fed Cup in Maui and then from there go to Taiwan. No opening round by uh, there um, is all and she's skipping the Middle East. She's skipping the Middle East, I think. Um, so it's all kind of confusing, but I think that that it's smart in a lot of ways for Venus to get the wins, to get repetition, to get matches, um, and uh, and to get her confidence up for what should be an interesting return to Indian Wells, obviously in March, um, and then and then obviously uh, um, Miami. But um, I think you know a, a good a good solid week for Venus. I mean, you walk away from a title. What's not to like about that? Yeah, pretty much. And let's go to the other veteran title, as you mentioned earlier. Roberta Vinci won her biggest title ever in St. Petersburg, indoor. Um, 
Smetersburg, by the way, I just thoroughly enjoyed as a TV watching experience with the the nice blue court with the dancers at every changeover. I, I I did not watch that much of St. Petersburg, but what I did, I just found delightful. And even though it's like an odd setup there where like the, apparently the two courts they have are like miles apart from each other in, very, in separate indoor complexes. Anyway, St. Petersburg, Vinci. Uh, with her, I think Vinci has done a better job than anybody expected backing up her friend, U.S. Open final. Remember, she does have that uh, title to her name, or not title, but that uh, mantle now, U.S. Open Finals, Roberta Vinci. Is she somebody who, Courtney, you think can actually contend at a slam this year? I think so. I mean, well, contend at a slam. I mean, look, Angie Kerber just won a major. So did did Flavia Panetta and Roberta Vinci was one match away from doing it herself. So who's to say that she can't? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, But um, I have been impressed by how well Vinci has continued to play, especially as she went into this season kind of with the the mentality of this is my last year. Uh, you would think that on some level she'd come in either flat or too tight, but she really has played well. Um, and I thought that, that the way that she went about her business in St. Petersburg was fantastic, especially on a court that wouldn't necessarily suit her. It wasn't a particularly fast court in St. Pete's. And I, and I think that she's going to need a little bit of that quickness uh, and slickness of a court to really uh, benefit her game, to keep that ball low. But, but I, thought she, I thought she played really really well beat Ivanovich beat uh, Benchich to really good wins there number two seed you know solid work and and she did tell me um that that you know these results do kind of make her rethink things a little bit as to whether or not this will be her last season um but she doesn't want to think about that too much and understandably so yeah. but uh but I mean, I'm I'm impressed. I I really didn't think that she would be playing this this well, and um, I do think that also it's kind of weird to think that that was her first title since 2013, right? Because she's done some stuff since. Then. Yeah, she really <laughs> has. Like we I mean, like she's been playing pretty darn good tennis. You know, made the semifinals in Shuhai, made uh, you know, uh, played well in Wuhan. Um, yeah, so no, so it's a bit surprising. Which I think is a good reminder that I think you know to as we've talked about a lot on the show, obviously uh, with like in regards to Sloan or, you know, Kornikova or whatever titles on everything. I mean, you can be a very relevant, good, fulfilled player without winning just titles, which is why at the same time, you know, like I wouldn't say, Oh, you know what, you know, Venus did is important because it's a title. I mean, I think she just got, and maybe it is to her because I think she has started playing a lot more small tournaments and gets confidence from that. And it's important for her to rack up trophies and those numbers. If she's looking at legacy building, all that's fine, but I mean, you can have a good results and be, and have a good year even without a title under the right circumstances. Yeah, um, most definitely. Speaking of players who aren't playing, Courtney, you were telling I I have not yet gotten to Middle East mode for tennis, even though it's a part of the year I like. It's usually some pretty good matches wind up there in Doha and Dubai. Uh, women both Doha and Dubai and the men in Dubai. Uh, there have been a bunch of withdrawals though so far. You were saying, can you just give us a sort of wrap of what that's been from your new role as WTA? injury czar. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the WTA injuries are, um, but obviously we do, you know, track the withdrawals and everything is like that and um, post it all up on the WTA website. So all of that's public information. So I'm not revealing anything in my insider role here at all, but um, yes, the, the middle East has been racked with the, with the quite a few early withdrawals that we've seen. Obviously Maria Sharapova pulling out of Doha is uh, pretty notable simply because that's the first major withdrawal from Doha, which is this year a uh, a Premier 5, as opposed to just a Premier. Although 
Sharapova had said she wasn't planning yes. on playing for Indian Wells. So it's a never in doubt withdrawal, but it's still a withdrawal. Exactly. It's still a withdrawal, but I'm pretty sure everybody who was involved in the event, as well as Maria Sharapova, kind of knew uh, what was going on there. Um, and then with, with this week's Dubai tournament, we saw the withdrawals of Angelique Kerber, Agnieszka Advanska, Serena Williams, and... Lucy Safarova, those were the top 10 withdrawals. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki also withdrew. Pong Shui as well. Alize Cornet also. And varying reasons for each. Um, but I think that stepping back from it all, it is also important to remember this is February. And uh, and if you talk to a lot of the players, as I did uh, last year during the off season, as well as in January, kind of in the lead up events, many of them were really pointing to February as being the first true off season because this is a compacted schedule this year. You have obviously the Olympics um, as, uh, to add on to kind of the gruel of the schedule. And yeah. so quite a few of them, you know, maybe they played Fed Cup and then took the rest of February off with Indian Wells in Miami coming up. But um not a you know like like Kerber withdrawing not a huge surprise given that she's still still doing her media rounds in Germany if you right. follow Angie you can see that and on the Rio front which we haven't mentioned but Rio is also this week is WT International Jeannie Bouchard withdrew citing scheduling conflict which is just I love because it's so honest <laughs> because Jeannie Bouchard just went out and played an NBA All-Star game celebrity game um and that's obviously she's playing in a basketball game she's not hurt but she has other things to do and these things happen i mean azarenka we talked about last week didn't play fed cup and showed up the super bowl and you know serena was doing hsn stuff this week and then pulled out of um dubai and caroline wozniacki wozniacki right is doing all this uh si swimsuit issue although it's just paint it's not really a swimsuit but anyway <laughs> si paint doesn't really sell uh sell issues not a good no. hashtag attack, I guess. No, but yeah, no, work, but, yeah. but I mean, and, and with the in the case of Serena and Vika, they both made a point of tweeting out, or I think Serena Snapchatted, like, uh, you know, a, a sick emoji with a little thermometer in the mouth. And it's like, it's, we get it. Like, it's fine. Like, you are independent contractors. You're allowed to flex in and out of things. It's within your rights. You know, there, there can be consequences, whether you lose ranking points or prize money opportunities or, you know, appearance fees or you... And consequences and, to the tournaments. I mean, and, yeah, and yeah, it, it impacts the tour, no, yeah, undoubtedly. Sure. And it, it can't, and that part of it can impact you. You get a reputation for pulling out a lot, and it hurts the appearance fees and things like that you can get in the future. But at the same time, February is an optional month. And you mentioned it being like an off-season, and that's exactly what Andy Murray said. Andy Murray, who was obviously busy last fall with, uh, you know, um, with winning the Davis Cup and playing the World Tour Finals and things like that, he said essentially, and especially with the birth of his kid now happened. Do we have a name yet for the Murray daughter? Baby. I haven't seen one. Yeah, Baby I don't know. Murray. Baby yeah, Murray. Huh. I wonder if that's one of those things where you can do like a Leighton Hewitt and have people pay to find out the name. I hope not. No. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. But Andy Murray essentially said that February would be his off season. And it's totally a viable option. You know, you don't have to think of the calendar as a line. It's a circle. Well, and, and Sharapova, when I spoke to her last uh, end of last year in Los Angeles, um, during the off season, she basically said straight out, like February is the month that I'm looking at as being the, my break before, you know, kind of marching on through the North American hard courts and then the clay and then grass and then the Olympics and U.S. Open. I mean, it's 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 a grind starting in March. There's no way around it. And um, so 
you know, not not super surprised, especially as many of these players do have niggling injuries that they took into the Australian Open um, because it's the Australian Open and because it was there and you had to play it um, and they played through some pain. But I think that the, the most surprising withdrawal for me out of all of those is probably Radvanska. Okay. Um, just because everybody else kind of had some sort of explanation that was separate and apart from their cited injury or illness. In other words, like, yeah, all of the social things that you were mentioning before, Lucy Safarova still dealing with the after effects of, of her bacterial infection, but is already in the Middle East and training for next week's uh, uh, Cutter Doha thing open. Yeah, and she's defending champ there. And she's defending champ there. So she'll, she'll be back. So it's it's not a shock that she pulled out of Dubai. But uh, but with Redvanska, I was uh, she pulled out with um, the ongoing I think it's left foot injury that she was carrying through the Aussie. Um, that made me a little bit more worried that it was ser- more serious than it might I might have thought from before. Mm. Uh, and then also Cornet pulling out with the I think it was back uh, okay. back or hip or something. But um, but yeah, Redvanska was the only top ten withdrawal that that kind of gave me a bit of pause. Um, as to whether I mean, Ravanska, Ravanska did play, I think, 11 matches in January, you know, winning Shenzhen. And, and she didn't of... have an offseason. Right. She played IPTL. She played mm-hmm. CTL. Yeah, that's very true. So maybe so maybe she is maybe she's she's doing the February as vacay thing. I don't know. But good, good on her if so. So as requested often by our listeners, we are going to do more take a number this year in 2016. For those of you who haven't heard Take a Number before, Take a Number is where we pick a number between 1 and 100 and talk about the number, the player who corresponds to that number on the ATP and WTA rankings. Uh, we did this at the end of the year. It's February. Let's do it again. You ready, Courtney? Woot woot. All right. Here is our random number generation between 1 and 100. Do to do. You remember how last time we had like really good numbers? We got like 20 yeah, something and then like great. 1 and then 8. Okay, this is balancing that out. We got 97. Yes. <laughs> 97. Oh, dear. Okay. Oh, this is actually really good for the guys. <laughs> uh, Courtney, who is the woman, number 97 on the WTA Tour right now? The woman who is number 97 on the WTA Tour right now happens to be possibly, and I'm pretty sure about this, the shortest woman in the top 100. I would have thought Doi, but Doi is higher than that. Mm. I'm pretty um, sure this person is shorter than Misaki Doi. Okay, let me think about this. It's uh, somebody short. So is it mm, not like Dominguez Lino? No? No? no. Is it um, uh, who's short? Not Lauren Davis. Uh-huh. Lauren Davis? Lauren, Lauren Davis. Davis. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's the shortest but she's short she's short five two is what she's listed which means she's like two inches shorter than that but just kidding lauren davis she's probably about i don't think she's five two though okay because i've i've stood next to her many a time and i'm pretty sure she's shorter well shorter than i am and you are what five two? i'm like five three okay uh the guy this is be a fun dance pair on height alone and just temperament and everything about this i want them to have to spend time together to see what that would be like. The guy at number 97 has been much higher. Jersey Janovitz. I was going to say, is Jersey 97? The minute yes. that you said by height, I was like, no way. Is Jersey already 97? How? Jersey? <laughs> How are you 97, boy? <laughs> this, is, this is a tire moment for you, I feel like. Oh, my God. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about all the tire moments that go into Jersey Janovitz in a second. Let's start with Lauren Davis. 
there is less on her. Lauren Davis, I thought she was higher than 97, actually. Yeah. Also, no. I would have thought she was like in the 60s or 70s. I think she's been up that way. Yeah. Um, but I guess just not at the moment. Uh, Lauren Davis, American, good junior, also, uh, yeah, small player and played well against uh, Sharapova at the Australian Open, won a set. So that was yes. a very, probably her best career result. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. I would have thought that Lauren Davis was ranked higher simply because she did make that third round at the Australian Open. That's a big chunk of points. But for that chunk of points to still just put her at 97 is a little surprising. But uh, Lauren Davis um, from Ohio um, and, uh, yeah, bit of a short one. The best thing about Lauren Davis, her pre-serve motion, uh, which is Isner-esque. Uh, if you've ever watched Lauren da- Davis serve, she bounces the ball between her legs just like John Isner, which is, like, funny because – they're like a foot apart their legs are very different sizes yeah Yeah, exactly but hey she she goes for precision uh there with that bounce doesn't she do some sort of other thing with her racket too that she puts the racket between the legs sometimes yeah she sometimes like. puts the racket That's on return legs she does like this whole yeah she's just she's there's a lot of little ticks little ticks that, that lauren davis has um but for a player who who is ranked 97 has been involved in quite a few kind of significant matches that aren't significant necessarily because of her. I know it sounds really weird and I don't mean that as like an, as a knock, obviously she was part of that Davis Sharapova match uh, at the Australian open that went viral because of Roger Federer's reaction to a, camera, yeah. Yeah, to a Lauren Davis missed volley. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm, that's right. Ended yeah. an epic rally. Epic yeah, it was rally. an epic, epic rally in the t- first set tiebreak, which Lauren Davis eventually won and took that to three sets. Also, she won that uh, match against Victoria Azarenka at Indian Wells. That was, yeah. Two years ago, which is one of the more difficult matches I've ever had to sit and watch. Savika was so clearly in no shape to play with her injury. Yeah. And was playing. That's when, that's one of the things, yeah, when Azarenka was not being smart about that. And as Lauren said, said after, she's learned from that sort of thing but yeah she had no business being out there or finishing the match or anything that was yeah very much tough to watch and lauren on that yeah, lauren uh is i think a usda coached person right yep jorge Tadero. yep so she's uh been in that system for quite a while i'm not sure like i think i've gotten the sense when i watch when i watch her i feel like she's better than 97 oh I, yeah i think she should, she should be a top she's at top least 60 60 70 player comfortably Top 20, like, I don't know that I ever see that happening for her just because of her size limitations and the fact that she'll have to play a lot of uh, tough matches. But, yeah, she's uh, better than better than 97. I'm surprised to see her down here. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. I'm delighted to see someone I know down here for the purpose of this segment. <laughs> this clear. is true. This but, is true. Yeah. But, yeah, no, she's been at a career high 43 uh, which was two years ago in July. Um, but otherwise, uh, since that 2014, it's been a bit rough. She she finished that season at number 57, finished last season at number 87. So so a bit tough, um, but great competitor, fights hard, you know, I think has done a lot with kind of what her natural physical limitations are. You know, nowadays in the women's game, it is, it is a, a big bashers game. Um, and if you aren't one of those types of players, then you need to be a, a Roberta Vinci type player where, you know, you are kind of cutting the ball and, and doing a lot of uh, different things, or you are kind of a Halep-esque, uh, you know, kind of grinder. Um, and I think that Davis probably is a step on the slow side, um, to be compared to, to Halep, but I mean, yeah, she doesn't have Halep's movement for sure. But I think, I think, yeah, just for players of that size, you could even include Halep in this and like Sibokova in this, they just totally. have more off results you know yeah i feel like they just you can't even with halep you can't and i guess maybe justin and pushes back against this but justin was obviously 
all-time great. By the way, Justine Hannon coaching Svitolina. Yeah, pretty cool. That's Fun to have cool. her around. Yeah, we'll um, I, hope, I hope she speaks to the press because um, she's a good she's a good chat. Um, when I spoke to, I spoke to her last year in Toronto, and um, yeah, she was she was very insightful. But um, speaking of that, one thing Hennon did tell me because I asked her last year about you know kind of being short and playing tennis and what are the particular disadvantages um, that that caused. Um, she was pretty open about exactly what you said, which is that it's not that you can't win matches or that you're not as good. It's that it takes so much more energy to be good right. every day than, than what it takes for maybe a player who who is just naturally a bit stronger and taller and bigger and can get the easy wins. And that those, that extra mileage adds up and, and creates, there, there's just more, there's just less margin in your matches than it there that exists for other players. And I think that that's right. I think that's always going to be kind of, the tough thing for the Halops, the Redvanskas, the Vinci's, the Doi, not the Vinci's short, but the Doi's, the smaller kind of players who who can't always just step up there and rip a winner uh, and end a point. Yeah. And speaking of, let's flip to the opposite, and it's a good time to transition to Jersey Janovitz, because Jersey Janovitz has all those advantages, and it's still 97. <laughs> like, oh, Janovitz has a great, great serve. I mean, like, at his best, he's a, definitely a top 10 serve in the ATP. It's easy to say. And he also has an incredible amount of variety. When he when he had his breakout, which was oh the drop grind, shots, yeah the drop shots. The when he had his breakout shots. run in Bercy in twenty twelve, which was the last year that Bercy was really ridiculous results wise, uh, Janovic made the final, and he lost to Ferrer in the final. It was Ferrer's only Masters title, um, but yeah, he was playing just insane tennis and just with this temperament that was not quite as insane as it became later, but still pretty out there and hitting these crazy drop shots. And he also this huge power. So he was like this big guy who wasn't, I mean, who never would get the knock that like a Ronich or an Isner gets of being boring because he had this variety. And I don't know if that option being in there is what screwed him up since. I mean, he went on to win, sorry, to make the semifinals of Wimbledon the next year, losing to Andy Murray. And he seemed like a weird trivia question answer at this point in terms of who Andy Murray beat in the Wimbledon semifinals to win his title because he has not done much since. And I don't know, does that, we'll get to off court a little bit later, but does, do you think that's what it was? I mean, what do you think? Why is Jersey Janovitz number 97? Because I mean, he was so much fun and looked like such a cool, relevant person for a while. Oh, for sure. About those things. I think that I'm just going to throw this out there because I do genuinely believe it actually. And I think that I've said this before on the podcast in the past. I think that people have to understand that like being a top 20 player, being a top 10 player in particular, isn't fun. No, not at all. It's kind of the worst, like because not the worst. Obviously, you're making theoretically more money. You're getting into any tournament that you want to get into. Arguably, you're getting paid appearance fees. So obviously, business wise and financially, it's great. But the amount of pressure and the amount of scrutiny that your results are then put under um it takes a certain level of resilience to to deal with that. And if you don't have that resilience, then you at least have to have the innate kind of talent and work ethic to keep yourself in that top 10. Like, you know, like you look at like a Thomas Burdick, I think is, is kind of a good example. I mean, he has the talent and the work ethic. I don't question Thomas Burdick's work ethic ever um, to keep himself in that top 10 and, and to stay relevant. Um, and what you see so often I feel like this is more exacerbated on the ATP. I don't know. Maybe it is also on the WTA. I don't think as much, but even though there's fluidity within the WTA, but like 
you have those examples of like Fernando Verdasco back in like that, whatever, 2009, 2010 seasons where he like Mm -hmm. shoot, busts his ass, gets in this major shape, gets super intense and kind of has the air of a top 10 guy surrounding him. And that's exhausting. It's really, really hard. It takes a hell of a lot of work to get there. Same with like a Yanko Tipsarovich, a guy who like breaks in the top 10 and then falls out of it, you know, two years later and never kind of gets back. Um, it's just not fun because then when you lose, it's like a big story. Maybe like when you were like top 30, no one really cared if you lose and you have to be, you know, you get hauled in to answer for it, et cetera, et cetera. So with Jersey, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, he just completely lucked into being a top 20 player and into the, not luck as in he didn't have the talent. He obviously had the talent, but again, you can have the talent and put together, you know, five great wins and still not actually be there. Yeah. Janovitz mentioned Wimbledon semifinal and you, what you're saying fits that because Janovitz beat no, like nobody on to that final. He got through that really broken quarter of Black Wednesday where Federer and Nadal both lost early. Um, and I think he only played one seed on route to the uh, semifinals. And that was Almagro in the third round. who was not a grass court player at all. Hates grass. And he beat Kubo in the. I was going to say that was the the year of Poland because it was yeah the all Polish yeah and then um, Aga made the semis yeah exactly and lost to Lasicki, right yeah yeah and so all of this being said, you talk about somewhat not being fun. Jersey Janowitz is somebody who very much values fun, very much at the detriment of his tennis. From everything I hear, um, I oh my gosh, this just happened. Okay, so Courtney, I was just typing this in. Go to Twitch. TV. Go oh, to your browser. He on? He's on right now. <laughs> go to go to twitch.tv slash Janovitz. He's on right now. Bless his little heart. I do not understand why anybody twitches. Oh yeah, he's on. So <laughs> for those of you who are not know this is Jersey Janovitz has an account on Twitch. And I'm gonna um unplug my headphone for a second here so you can hear him first of all why is he running around trying to go through close combat with a sniper rifle you dumb so, jersey so what we're watching right now is a live stream of jersey janovitz playing counter-strike global offensive um, and he is cycling through weapons and there's a webcam pointed at his face and this is what jersey janovitz does he loves video games with all his heart and soul he um yeah, I'm trying to find audio. I guess it's his friends or his, you know, teammates and whatever talking. Yeah, this is what he's doing. And, and he apparently does this, uh, like, during slams. Not during slams, but I've heard that Janovis will pull, like, gamer all-nighters the night before matches. Which, you know, that's why you're number 97. And maybe he doesn't even deserve to be that high because he's just getting by on his laurels of being this enormous tall guy who has an awful work ethic. I don't know. But yeah, we're right now watching him playing Counter-Strike. Not that this is nothing you're not allowed to play Counter-Strike. And you're not allowed to enjoy it. But like, why is this? Why does he have this? Why do I? Why did I know he'd be here? You know, <laughs> he looks like he's really enjoying it. I guess, or he's 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 dialed in. I mean, this is the thing that I'll always say, you know, about about uh, about these tennis players, and especially why 
I think that if you're a top 20 player, you should be given far more respect from like fans and whoever than than people sometimes do. Because to be at that level takes an incredible work ethic and not everybody has it. It's not just about talent. I think Jersey is a great example of it. I mean, the guy just there are a lot of people who just want to have fun on tour. That's yeah. all they want. They just want to like have fun with their lives. Just like there are tons of us who have jobs. So right? Everybody's got a job. And some for some people, they just want to put in the nine to five, minimal effort, not get fired, and enjoy the rest of their life outside of the job. The job isn't necessarily what their entire lives are about. That same mentality still applies to like whether or not you are work at a Starbucks or you are a professional tennis player. The only difference is to be the best at whatever it is that you do. I assure you that the best baristas at Starbucks really think about, like, they love, like, pulling a latte. And they love, like, they, they're they down with coffee. Like, they want to read about it. They're really into it. Um, not everybody does. And so that's kind of where we're stuck with, like, a Jersey Januitz, Januitz who are, we all recognize it would be so much better if you were good at tennis, but you're not. This, this analogy might seem ridiculous. I mean, comparing a tennis player to a barista, but it's completely nice. right. In that Janovitz is not somebody who's maximized his talent. Going into life, like how many people in the world, you know, you listener or even us or whatever, like can really say that we gave everything we had to make the most of our careers absolutely possible at all times? You know, like almost nobody passes that test. Probably on like the at least not everybody passes it 100. percent And oh, Janovitz just got killed. He just um, got sniped so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should be dedicating more time to uh, to, to Counter Strike. Also, who stands behind? Oh my God, the tactics are deplorable. Who stands behind a door as it's being opened? Literally in the crack. Like you should be you should be behind cover, dude. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so all this is to say, yes, Janovitz is somebody who's not making the most of his gifts. Will he ever? I don't know, but it's going to take a significant change from what we're watching right now. Because <laughs> to be fair, he's not great at, club, at counter strike either. <laughs> oh, okay. So that was number ninety-seven. <laughs> Jersey Janovitz and Lauren Davis. God, this is this, this was amazing timing. But he's just like not good. <gasps> and he's a bit of a chicken shit. Like he doesn't actually breach. He likes to stay back. <laughs> What is the Counter-Strike equivalent of a drop shot? Okay, he's running, he's running. That's a live comment. It's We're just going to keep watching Counter-Strike for a bit. So he's got an assault rifle. Yeah. And he's... I think his job as part of the team, his role has been to per- patrol the perimeter and just get anybody coming out of this building, which looks like it's like in Turkey or something. Yeah, it's like a yeah, Middle Eastern looking setting. The mosque type thing. But he keeps so now he's, he's a running golden through. Gag. Yeah, he's now he's running through. And he can't decide I don't know, man, like you are not helping your team, bro. Oh there was somebody in there, dude. And then he runs away. Oh, and he just got sniped again. <laughs> well, now he's shooting. Why would you shoot with the silencer, bro? So this is so Jersey Janowitz. He just grabbed an assault rifle to breach a door and went through the door, shooting his assault rifle, like, massively, and then switched to a silencer. <laughs> But you wouldn't shoot a silencer. 
after already dispensing about 40 rounds from your Kalashnikov. That makes no sense. You've already announced your arrival. I mean, it's kind of, it's mes- it's it's also just boring watching and somebody play video games. He just, this is why he's I don't understand pitch. He's throwing his golden dagger at nothing. No, he's just twirling it, it looks like, right? Yeah, he's just twirling yeah. it. Very Which, sort of, once again, very, that's very Jersey Janowitz. He's in it for the style. Actually, it's a little more like, he's kind of a Lauren Davis-y, like, you know. Yeah? Lauren Davis-y player, <laughs> which is always twirling something, always moving, doing stuff. and Yeah. Andre Duda, he's get, people are giving him money. He's getting like donations. Of this. Somebody gave him eighty dollars. Why, dude? If I play like The Last of Us and do this, will people give me money? Because you don't want to see me cry. But like, you know, huh. I don't know. He just likes looking at his at his knives. <laughs> They're shiny. He, like, has a different dagger out now. Like, it's more of, like, actual field ops dagger. And he's, like, looking at it, like, all happy. He's, like, twirling it in his hand. He's, like, look at this cool knife. He's going to get sniped again, I assure you. Oh, he's running into the breach with a knife. Oh, now he goes to a weirdly graffitied-out pistol. They're shooting. Is he going to run into the fire, I wonder? I'm going to say yes. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's going to wait until it's clear. You're going to run into no, smoke, bro? No, he's running bro? right into this, this line of fire. I don't know how he didn't get killed there. Terro! Okay. Go. Okay. The smoke is clear. Go! Oh! <laughs> and he's dead. <laughs> and he's dead. This is what makes no sense. You had the smoke bomb go off. You go through the smoke bomb and emerge on the other side. You don't wait for the smoke bomb to clear and then run through it. That makes zero... Yeah, uh, so Even I know that. Granted, I've played a lot of Clancy. But, you know. Oh, that was better. He has very, like, colorful guns. Right? right? Like, They're all, like, painted. I bet. I wonder if he, like, paid extra, like, He did, money. totally. That's not, like, in-game stuff. What a waste of money. Well, people are giving him money. He probably spends it on that. Oh, they're actually inside the mosque. Okay. okay. This is simple as he got killed last time. Yep. Will it happen again? Well, is that an enemy or a friend? I don't know, but... They're trying to kill him, though, right? Yeah, he was getting shot. Now he's outside the mosque. I'm gonna get a fuse. <laughs> Someone said something hilarious. <laughs> Oh, he's getting shot. Getting shot. And he's dead. I love that he's wearing a Nike t shirt. What the fuck? Oh, is that a. Twitch, Twitch is the right word because he's like so like jittery on his gameplay. Also, this is a PC game. He's not even like playing on a PS4 or like a Xbox. Mm. Which I find amusing. Because that's like super hardcore. <laughs> that means he probably has a gaming laptop that he takes with him on the road. No, like I said, I've heard that he plays like goes all nighters like night before matches. I believe it. This is what this is what the people are saying. Well, you know what? 
if there was if a player is going to spend all night doing something instead of like sleeping, I would, and it's on the ATP. I would much rather him be playing video games. <laughs> Dan, okay. I'm just yeah. saying. You want to say like, oh, I heard. Well, I heard things too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe okay, maybe we should let Jersey go here. <laughs> so it's harmless, but it just doesn't make me optimistic about his future. Okay. All this. Yeah. yeah. How old is he now? That's a good question. He is. Let me look at the number ninety-seven on one second. Janovitz is twenty-five. Okay. I mean, he still has time. He got shot again. Well, what can you? I mean, you know. I mean, he could. Andy Murray used to be super video. The guy threw a grenade at his corpse. That was rude. Uh, this is why I don't play multiplayer. I just prefer to play. Like, I feel people can be really rude when you play, like online. It's really upsetting to me. I can't stand it, which is why I never play online. Yeah, I had a roommate in college my first semester there who I hated, who used to play a lot of these like online games too, and with like the chat mode on, mm-hmm. people would say the most dis- like vile, vile thing. and disgusting. Oh, I remember, and one of them was like clearly eleven years old. Yep. And like this, like like middle aged man and him were just exchanging the most like just disturbing dialogue. Jam is gonna die soon. Wait for it. Wait for it. No, he's hiding. And there he goes. So we'll leave it with that. Uh, thank you, Jersey. Thank you, Lauren. Lauren, not, not much to do this. Oh, my one Lauren Davis fun fact, which I didn't mention, is that Lauren Davis's dad wrote the intro to Djokovic's book. Yep. Which I always think is fun and random. That's a Lauren Davis fun fact. If there is. was one. It is. She's a very nice young lady. Lauren mm-hmm. Davis. Very quiet. All right. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining with Ben, Courtney, and Yurtsi. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can also uh, send us questions for upcoming episodes on email, nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. There are also other fun things you can do including subscribing to us on your podcasting app of choice, including iTunes or the podcast app there, uh, RSS feeds, whatever, and leave us reviews there. And you get new episodes automatically, and it's really cool. So those are good, fun things to do. The executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Francisco Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tal Woolley. Courtney, anything on your mind for your rant rave? Sure, why not? Let's go ahead. Um, well, since we just spent, you know, if this is probably, I would hope, edited down on the podcast, but we literally spent like so. 20 minutes like watching <laughs> Jersey Janowitz on Twitch. Um, but yes, yeah, since I've been home in February, because I can never really do it while I'm on the road, I've been playing a lot of video games, trying to knock out video games in the same way that I binge watch TV shows and movies. Like I will binge play just to be like, oh, I need to finish this one. I need to finish. I'm totally built for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so this weekend, I finally got to and finished The Last of Us. Which was tremendous. And I have to say, if you haven't played it, please do. Best, I have to say, first of all, the best like voice acting ever of any video game ever in the history of video games, hands down. 
Like I cried. I'm not afraid to admit it. I got choked up at a few at a few moments. And you think it was the voice acting? Not oh yeah, the no, the voice design. No, the voice acting and the motion capture. I think that okay. Naughty Dog, which is the um, the production or the company that puts the game out, they've kind of figured out how to do. I mean, human faces. It's hard to show, especially when they're digitized, like true human emotion. Um, but uh, Naughty Dog has figured out how to do it. I think the eyes. They do a really good job with the eyes and conveying things. And so you can you take that and you combine it with a really good storyline a very well-written script and then just really good voice acting um what is it what is it about sure so the last of us it basically takes place in a not post-apocalyptic but basically a virus has overtaken the, the world the country it is created um and i don't like zombies and all that sort of stuff but it's created like these mutants that have basically gone feral um, and just attack whatever. And there are humans who have survived and they are trying to continue to survive. So um, at its core, it's a survival game, um, but it is also at times a first person shooter. Uh, you do spend a lot of times like scavenging uh, for materials to again, survive and get and complete this mission, which involves uh, a, a guy named Joel, who is um, has kind of a tragic backstory. Um, and this young 14 year old girl named Ellie, uh, those two uh, meet and Joel agrees through a series of circumstances to help smuggle her out of the city. Um, and um, so the, sh the, the show, see, that's how the, the, that's what the last <laughs> of us is to me. It's actually a show, but I happen to play parts of it um, via video game, but it um, has that dramatic effect. But the whole game is uh, basically about the development of their relationship. And um, yeah, there's just a lot going on and a lot of rumination uh, with respect to survival and relationships and community and all these sorts of things, but it's great. And there's a compendium game called uh, Left Behind, which is just about Ellie and her best friend Riley that takes place during the game and also before the game timeline wise, that's really moving as well. And uh, apparently there's a sequel in the works, but it's just, it's just so good and it's emotionally compelling. And I thought the gameplay was really great because it's a nice, balance between action and kind of slower parts where you're just kind of like exploring different cities and stuff but um that's, that's interesting i never really heard anybody describe a video game with any sort of emotional punch at all oh for sure really yeah yeah no this one's one there's um a game that i raved about last year called gone home which is a pc game that um is not like this at all because it's it's a it's kind of more of a walkthrough game like there's no like fight scenes or anything like that you're just kind of exploring and investigating um, a story, but it uh, that one totally made me cry at the end. I was in like tears. Um, but this one was just definitely emotionally resonant. Um, and and the interesting thing too that I wanted to say is that um, actually online, if you've played Last of Us, a fan has created a like seven episode like series that is the that is the game. So it hmm. created thirty minute shows that are all of the like dialogue and story. So it takes out all of the actual like video game elements kind of, and just, this is what the show is or the, the seven episodes or the movie, whatever it is that you want to call it of the last of us, um, like the plot line and character development and all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, I've only watched like a couple, but it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, and the guy like choreographed like the fight scenes to be like as part of the movie. It's really good. Um, cool. But yeah, it's very, very good. Cool. Mine is sort of different. Um, I was at Trader Joe's yesterday. Love. And, and that was great. 
And one thing that's always really good about Trader Joe's, which I never really appreciated until this moment, was they always play really good, at least in my neighborhood, Trader Joe's, they always play really good music there. And there was a moment in my um, shopping at Trader Joe's, I think I was like leaving produce going towards something else, where I realized that like myself, but also like at least three other people in the aisle were all like audibly singing along to the song which was playing. Which was um, "Love You Inside and Out" by the Bee Gees, <laughs> and it was just—it was a tremendous moment of like human bonding over this, not even like A-list Bee Gees song, and so that was just—it's great little moment of like the power of music and community and disco. I was all about it. I thought it was very cool. I was like, oh, I realized it was happening. I was like, I was actually like, oh, this is, and I realized I should not be like reacting to this and just moved on and went and bought some chicken. So. Cool. It ended abruptly, but it was for that one moment. It was like a magical, you know how like in musicals, I always say musicals are the most unrealistic genre of movies because no one ever like simultaneously in unison breaks into song with strangers. But like we totally were. Not earnestly. Yeah, no. No. See, it's, so. if anything, our our rant, our raves this week are about human connection. Right. And the moving moments when a human connection is made. It's nice. And maybe and that's maybe all Jersey Janovitz is trying to do on Twitch. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Human connection. It's a good thing. I feel bad for judging him earlier. Not really, but a little bit. <laughs> With that. See you guys later. Bye bye. Ciao ciao.